Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Well, uh, happy Easter, everyone. Jesus is risen, and uh, I think I say this every year, but my family has a tradition of when we... uh, if you guys all want to take your mics off mute here, um, I'm going to say he is risen. And I want you guys to just jump in and just say he is risen indeed. This is a tradition that has been said across uh, the millennia, really. The last couple of thousands of years, Christians all over have said this very thing. Uh, when someone would, they would greet each other, they'd say he is risen and they would repeat back, he is risen indeed. So I think that'd be a great exercise for us this morning. Uh, so happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. A little cheesy, I know, but you know what? It's good to to, to say it and to just uh, to declare that with our voice, which is significant for what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Today, we are uh, continuing with our Creed message series that we have been uh, going through. This is week nine of our message series, and we will have to wait just a little bit longer to finish it because uh, next week, as I'd mentioned earlier, um, we'll have a special sort of one-off message from our very own Sarah Boothman. Excited for that. Uh, And then we'll come back the week after and finish uh, with the last um, message in this series of Creed. But today, excuse me, is part nine of Creed. And on this Easter Sunday, how fitting that the topic for today is salvation. Um, I did not plan it this way, and uh, but God and his good graces and his sovereignty uh, has allowed this to be. And I'm excited for what this message will mean. I have been praying today and this week that God would restore and would, uh, would refresh us in the knowledge and understanding and really the significance of salvation. Um, I don't know if, if I'm alone in this, if I very well, maybe it wouldn't be the first time, but, uh, in, in, in things that come up on a regular basis, um, like Easter, right. For example, or maybe even Christmas when it comes to, when it comes to preparing messages and maybe it's a, it's a, a pitfall potentially of pastors because of the frequency in which we write messages and deliver them to people. There can be, um, the tendency to, to wonder what new or fresh could I possibly say about a topic, right? The idea of, of, um, of, of the resurrection Sunday. And, and in some ways, I think that's true. And there's a reality to it. And in other ways, it's really quite ridiculous because we know that the word of God is alive and it is active. And there is no, um, there is no end to the depth of meaning and significance and symbolism and just transformation impact that God's word has. And when we apply it to our lives um, and seek to dig in, that God always re- reveals something new. Sometimes it's just reminders. But I also do think that... Um, that as people and as humans, not just as pastors, that we can potentially go through um, the motions of an Easter Sunday, you know, and it can become about Easter baskets and even dressing up nice for church or even potentially knowing that it is about the resurrection, but kind of just being a church and kind of guessing what pastors are going to say because we've heard it what we think is a thousand times. And so my prayer for us today, and I think actually what I'd like to do is just in a moment, is I'd like to just pray and ask God, as I have been asking him this morning and throughout the week, that God would refresh us. And um, and and uh, the word escapes me, but I would I'm asking that he would that he would reveal something new and 
I guess, just refreshing to us this morning about his salvation. So let's do that. Father, we praise you on this Easter Sunday. For 2,000 years, we've been celebrating this very thing, and uh, we certainly don't want to say it is old. But we also recognize that there is part of us that distractions come in, life comes in the way, um, whatever it might be, that we might not always look and be expecting something significant, a revelation to come to us. And this morning, we want to open ourselves to that possibility. God, would you speak through me? I don't want to be the one speaking. I would like for you to speak through your word and through the preparation of this message that you would, um, that we would walk away from this uh, gathering today, um, knowing that today is significant and it would feel significant, um, that there would be something done in each of our hearts that would draw us closer to you um, in a special way today through your word. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we uh, have been going through this message series, Creed, which is really about our set of beliefs as Christians. And last week we talked about man, humanity, the concept of what it means to be a human being. And we are God's image bearers. And just as a reminder of what we talked about last week, our statement of faith um, that we studied said this, that man is the is made in the image of God, that as human beings, we are his, and as that, we are the supreme object of his creation. Man was created to have fellowship with God, but became separated in that relationship through sinful disobedience. And as a result, man cannot attain a right relationship with God through his own effort, and every human personality is uniquely created. It possesses dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. But no matter how worthy of dignity we are, how much we possess, you know, uh, possess that worth and that love, there is nothing that we can do on our own. And therefore, we need salvation. And that is the topic of today. Today is salvation. And this message of today is entitled God's Only Way. And so our statement of faith that you can find on our church website says this about salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Salvation occurs when people place their faith in the death and resurrection of Christ as sufficient payment for their sin. And salvation is a gift from God, and it cannot be earned through our own efforts. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Today is Easter Sunday, and I always think of Easter uh, as, as a combination of both salvation and resurrection, about death and resurrection. In my tradition of growing up, it seemed like Easter was really more a focus on the resurrection um, and not a lot of emphasis put on uh, the death of Jesus in terms of Good Friday. Um, I know that depending on the tradition that you maybe come from, there may be as a significant emphasis on maybe both or maybe on one or the other. I know oftentimes, for example, in um, Catholic churches, you'll see the crucifix, which has Jesus on the cross um, as the primary figure or image that you would see. Um, in the churches that I grew up in, I never saw pictures of Jesus on the cross in terms of like, you know, displayed in a, in a church building. It was always an empty cross. Uh, and then the image of the tomb was more of, of uh, what would be discussed more often. And so it's interesting to me how there are different emphasis. Now, obviously, as Christians, we know that Easter Sunday is ultimately the celebration of the resurrection. But what I would, what I want to say today is that Easter, while it is a, it is a huge day of celebration for Christians, what it is, is actually the culmination of two 
incredibly spiritual, significant spiritual moments. It is the combination of both what took place on the cross, the death of Jesus on Good Friday, in conjunction with what took place on the Sunday after the resurrection that brought life, which we now celebrate as Easter. Salvation, the, what we're going to be talking about really today, the concept of salvation is made possible because of both because of the death of Jesus and the resurrection. And salvation is the center of the gospel message. It is our greatest hope. It is what we are hoping for. We often talk about as though we are saved. And there is an element to that, much like, uh, much like Jesus talked very frequently in the New Testament about the kingdom of God being both here and to come. The same is true with salvation. We are saved. We are made his children. And we'll talk about what that is today. But at the same time, our salvation is yet to come. It is still the hope of us. We are hoping for the salvation of Jesus as he returns. So today I want to explore our statement of faith, dive into it a little bit, and talk about some of the mechanics of salvation and what it means for us. What do we believe about salvation and why does it matter? And then we're going to wrap up with a little bit of a, uh, of a culmination of what it means for Easter. And then we're going to uh, participate in communion together and, and sing a song of worship to the Lord before we close out today. What do we believe about salvation and why does it matter? The first part of our statement of faith says the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. We don't like to talk about blood a lot because it sounds gross and it sounds actually sounds kind of like archaic, right? But he, this is significant. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Let's dig into that a little bit. If you would turn to me, turn with me to Romans chapter five, Romans five, you guys want to open your Bibles or your smartphones, or your tablets to Romans chapter five, verses eight through 10 is what we're going to read about. And it's going to talk about this concept called justification. We're going to learn a little bit about the court systems here today. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God proves his own love for us. And I like it when it says, but, because usually before it, it was like really bad news. <laughs> it was like, you're terrible. You're a sinner. You're deserving of death and destruction. You do all these terrible things. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, sit on that for a moment, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, while we were still doing the most horrible, vile things. Think of the people in prison systems. Think of serial killers. Think of murderers. Think of people who've done horrible things. While they were still doing those things, Christ died for us. Christ died for them. How much more then in verse 9, it says, since we have now been justified, underline that, now we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. The cross of Jesus is at the center of salvation. Why? What are we being saved from? Well, this verse gives us a little bit of an indication. It says from wrath, right? We know that sin leads to nothing but death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, right? The wages, the paycheck 
Like, so when you, when you invest, when you work in sin, the resulting paycheck of that, that you get paid, the wage of it is death, destruction, separation from God. It demands justice because of God's holiness. You see how all these weeks that we've gone through previous to this have all led to this moment, right? The holiness of God, the perfection of him, he is the righteous judge and he must judge sin. It demands justice. It demands payment. And so Jesus provided that payment through his death on the cross. His sacrifice was the payment. And it says in this verse, right? It says, how much more than since we have now been justified by his blood. The word justification is a legal term. It is a forensic term meaning to acquit or to declare righteous. It is the opposite of condemn. So justifying is not something that you or I can do. Justifying is a judge's act. It is a judge's act. The judge, the one who has the responsibility of deciding and pronouncing a judgment is the one who can justify. And so from a litigant standpoint, therefore to be justified means to get a verdict. Okay, so what does it say here? Since we have now been justified by his blood, what we're doing here is that God, as the judge, is passing and he is sustaining a favorable verdict. In the courtroom of God, here's that sound from Law and Order, that doom-doom sound, right? Like, this is God, our righteous judge, looking at the sin that demands payment, that demands death. The wages of sin is death. We are guilty. But because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, we are now set free. We are given a sustaining, a favorable verdict. We are acquitted. We are declared righteous. We are the opposite of condemned. We have been justified. God, as the judge of all the earth, as it says in Genesis 18, 25, he is the the judge of all the earth, has declared us not guilty and pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. That's what it means to be justified. To be justified by Christ's blood means that his blood paid the payment of sin. Am I back? Am I back? Every single week. (laughs) To be justified means that the judge of all earth has declared us not guilty and pardons all those sins who believe in Christ. He's given us mercy and mercy is the definition of being pardoned of what we do deserve. Being pardoned, not getting something that we do deserve. Grace is being given something that we don't deserve, but mercy is being pardoned of what we do deserve. We have been reconciled to God and justified, declared not guilty through Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? I mean, think of a headline, right? If any of you have have thought of the significance of when a famous trial that has gone on for months, and then the headline comes out, not guilty. If any of you remember the O.J. Simpson trial, or others like it, where the nation has followed a followed a trial for a number of weeks or months and all over the news, your phone blows up or you turn on the TV or CNN is flashing by with the headlines, not guilty, not guilty. This is the most monumental headline that would ever exist 
for human beings that the God of the earth, the, the righteous judge of all the earth has declared us not guilty when we have no business standing in his presence. Can you imagine that? Think about it from that perspective, the push notification. God declares humanity not guilty. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it means that there's only one way. There's no way for that verdict to be given. There is no chance for us to be not guilty without Jesus Christ. And that means we have to take it seriously. It's a significant moment. Our entire faith is built on the back of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why Christians for centuries have been wearing crosses around their neck. That's why the cross is the symbol. That's why Jesus tells us to take up our cross. Like it is the cornerstone of our faith. It is significant. It is the only way. Jesus said, I am the truth, the light, and I'm the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said it's the narrow gate, the narrow path. There is only one way, and we have to take it seriously and intentionally think about it and allow the cross of Jesus to not be sullied by our actions, but also to think about those who don't know Jesus, and that should drive us with a desire for us to, for them to know Jesus as well. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Our statement continues and says, salvation occurs. So how does it happen? Salvation occurs when people place their faith in the death and resurrection of Christ as sufficient payment for their sin. It's funny because in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 to 31, somebody actually asked the question. It says, he escorted them out and then said, sir, sirs, with an S, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like, Great question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Simple. Just believe, right? It's expanded on a little bit more in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, you guys, many of you have heard this before. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love the simplicity of it. It doesn't say, you know, if you go out and, uh, you know, donate $1,000 to this church, and then you go and do this missions trip, and you, and then you, you know, forgive this person, and then you say these words, and you do this rite and ritual, that you will be saved. It's abundantly clear Salvation is believe in the Lord Jesus. There's, there's something transcendent inside about it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, simply put, flat out, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? I think it means there's an outward acknowledgement of who he is and what he did. Like a public display of it. That's why baptism is what it is. That's why baptism is an important element of our faith, that Jesus commanded us to be baptized because it was not only a symbol, 
but also an outward confession. I think that's why it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I think that's more than just the words. That's why I, I, I've leaned against the idea of, a, of an altar call where you have people raise their hand and then and say a prayer. I think there's a significance to the concept of praying, but I think what Jesus is getting at, I think what, what, what the apostle Paul is getting at is when you speak with your mouth, there's like a, I'm not ashamed aspect of it. This is who I am now. This is what I believe. I'm declaring it as I believe it with conviction. An outward acknowledgement of who he is and what he has done. That Jesus is Lord. What's that mean? It means that he has the authority to judge. That's what we said earlier, right? Like that God, and we know that Jesus is God and that he is the judge and he has declared us not guilty. He has justified us. So when we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is that he has the authority to judge and to execute justice. That's his job. That's his job. But then it says to believe in your heart. How am I saved? I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. This is talking about the resurrection, the resurrection and the cross. They're both at the centrality, the central space of the gospel message. And this is why I think it's not just a matter of something you say. Jesus, I believe that you're the one who said, you're saying you're forgiven me from my sins, amen. Like I'm a, I'm a Christian now. Like that's not the point. The point here is that you're declaring that God is who he says he is, the righteous judge, and he has the authority to execute justice but also I believe in the resurrection in my heart, the transformational belief that against all odds, I believe against all odds in hope and in faith that something impossible took place, that the man who died a physical death rose from the grave and in that conquered death and has given me new life. I believe in my heart, the resurrection defeated death. It paved the way for new life. In Christ. It's not just saying, forgive me for my sins so I can go to heaven. The concept of declaring with my mouth that Jesus Christ has the authority to pardon me of sin and that what he says goes, but also through his resurrection that I am made new. And we believe that, that we will be saved. That's the promise that we hold on to. We will be saved. That's the great hope and there's always in the back of my mind, I don't know about you, there's always in the back of my mind because I know I'm perpetually a sinner. I perpetually make mistakes. How many times have I thrown away the salvation of God, like stepped on it in my own willful disobedience to him? And there's something in the back of my mind that wonders, like, is there ever a line? Is there ever a space in which like God's like, enough of this, I'm done with this fool. Like, is there? And I read this passage of scripture. If you confess with your mouth and believe that he is the righteous judge who has pardoned me, and I believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will be, will be, will be. Hold on to that promise. There's nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. You will be saved. Why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Because it's not a right, it's not a ritual, but a decision. It is a decision. It's about who you are to God and who you believe him to be. That's what salvation is about. How do I receive salvation? It's not a ritual. It's not a series of steps. It's something that happens inside that you say, I choose. I choose. It's about restoring a relationship. It's not about a transaction. 
It's recognizing what God has done and what's now possible moving forward. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Salvation occurs when people place their faith in the death and resurrection of Christ as the sufficient payment for their sin. And finally, salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God, and it cannot be earned through our own efforts. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace through faith. And just to be clear, this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that you can't boast. You've done nothing. You have absolutely nothing to do with this. For we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of us, ahead of time for us to do. We have been saved by grace, not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned through our own efforts. I want to talk real quickly about the gift of grace. The concept of grace, as I said, mercy earlier is not getting something that you do deserve. For the wages of sin is death, right? So mercy means we didn't get death. Instead, we've been given life. But salvation, it says here, right, is a gift from God, the gift of grace. We've been saved by grace. And what that means is grace is getting something that I don't deserve. I do not deserve new life. God could have stopped at the death on the cross of Jesus. He could have stopped there and said, I did my part. I've paid for your sin. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with you. I've made it right. I made you and I love you, but I don't have to like you. This is what my parents used to say. I love you, but I don't have to like you. God could have done that. He could have said, I'm paying the bill like I'm done, but this is the last time I'm paying for your check, right? And he could have left us with no relationship. When you're good enough, come home and maybe we'll talk about it. Like he could have done that. That's mercy. Mercy is you deserve death and I bailed you out of jail right? But what he did instead was he welcomes us home and gives us new life through the resurrection. That's getting something you don't deserve. We don't deserve the gift that he's lavished upon us. That's grace. For you are saved by grace, it says, not from ourselves. We did nothing. We don't deserve it, didn't earn it. It is a gift. And Martin Luther uh, it like felt so strongly about this when he was nailing his, his, uh, the beliefs to the door of the Catholic church to create Lutheranism and Protestantism. He created something called sola fide, which is faith alone. He believed this so strongly. It is not your actions. There is absolutely nothing that you can do that would determine your position with God it was all through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not an effort. We cannot earn it. This gift must be freely received. And it starts with the recognition of that complete inability. And after a while, as Christians, I'm just going to speak for myself here, but obviously, you know, I'm kind of like putting this thought out that I believe others feel this way, whether they recognize it or not. Like if you've been a Christian long enough, you, you get distance from your old life and you start to forget what it was like. You, 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 we forget the sting of sin. We forget the sting of our decisions and our consequences and, and those kinds of spaces and those things. And then we start to, 
not necessarily think that we earned it, but maybe that we kind of deserve it, like an entitlement that I am a Christian because God loves me. And it's not that I did something, but there's just a different, I'm not humble anymore. I'm not desperate for God anymore because I've lived in the, in the luxury of God's presence for so long. But we have to remember We had a complete inability without God's mercy, without his grace, without his judgment, declaring us righteous in his presence, not guilty, acquitted of something we absolutely 100% did. We are unable. And so the song that we sang this morning, Living Hope, it has lyrics in it. It says, in desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. That's where it has to start. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned through our own efforts. We have to receive it with open hands. It's like on Christmas morning or it's your birthday. And somebody says, I have a gift for you. Close your eyes. And you put your hands out. This idea, it must be received. It cannot be grabbed. It cannot be taken. I can't offer you anything. God gives it freely. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that it was a free gift of grace? Because gratitude fosters closeness. Gratitude fosters closeness. It keeps us humble. And we bought this house almost three years ago. And I still find myself so grateful for it. I love this house. It's just a house. But I love it because of what it means. Like it's a journey that brought us to this place where we weren't even sure we were ever going to be able to afford a house or be able to our credit and all these kinds of things. But God and his goodness allowed us to purchase this house. And it causes me to thank him and to want to be close to him. I love my wife. I'm grateful for her. And she takes care of me and, and she, she does wonderful things for me. And, and I love her and it brings closeness. Gratitude fosters closeness. When I remember where I was and I'm thankful for what God has set me free from, it fosters a desire to know him. It brings a, when I sing worship songs, it's not just words, like I'm singing them from my heart. It's like a love song back to uh, Jars of Clay wrote a song called Love Song for a Savior. It's like, I'm singing this from my heart because of the gratitude that I have. It keeps us humble, but also it reminds us that God is the one who does the transforming. And this goes back to the really the, the, the central kind of idea of this entire message series. Remember what I said that this concept of creed is not just about knowledge. It's not just knowing what I believe about something. It's, it's the combination of the knowledge in conjunction with God's spirit working inside of me to transform us. And so when I know that it was a gift, that salvation is just a gift, there's nothing I could do. It's a gift of grace. It reminds me that God is the one who does the transforming. It's no amount of effort can overcome sin. My sinful nature exists. It is alive and well inside of me. I am tempted constantly to do the things that I know are not right for me, that God has not created me for. And I believe you know what I'm talking about. I can't do it on my own. It is only through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me that can overcome that. Only the Holy Spirit in partnership with my desire. I have to want it just like I have to choose to say yes to Jesus. I have to choose, but only through the power of God living within me, this transformation take place. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross provides the only way of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Salvation occurs when people place their faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, 
as sufficient payment for their sin. And salvation is a gift from God, and it cannot be earned through our own efforts. And so, today is Easter, Easter Sunday. The cross and the resurrection coming together to bring salvation. I want to close with Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Therefore, everything that I just said, right? This is, again, another one of those transitional statements. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Remember when you were baptized under the water, right? Baptized into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. It starts with placing our faith in Jesus. Baptism is about identifying with Christ's death and saying goodbye to our old self. And the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us is renewing us, is restoring us every day, making us like Christ and pointing the way to his return and to the renewal of all things. That is Easter. That is salvation, God's only way. Would you close your eyes with me and pray? Jesus, I thank you for your death on the cross. I thank you for your resurrection from the grave. I thank you that you have given us life. I thank you that you have pardoned us from our sin. That you have declared us not guilty. And that we can boldly stand before the Father as his children. I thank you you didn't just pay for our sin and say, find your own way home. But no, through the resurrection, you've defeated death and declared us righteous, and you've lifted us up into new life. May we be people who do not take for granted the not guilty verdict, who do not take for granted the transforming power of your resurrection that is at work in us every single day. We thank you for it. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.